Welcome back to Balancing Chaos with Kelly and Gretchen. And we are here today talking about International Women's Day, which is being celebrated on the day this releases, which is March 8th. And International Women's Day is a global day celebrating the social, economic, cultural, and political achievements of women. So we thought since we're a very female-based podcast, um, we should shout that out today and talk about all the great things that some of our own personal heroes have have done for us in our now what are our, some of our uh, podcast listener statistics uh they are it's about 90 percent women and then james <laughs> <laughs> and then they 50 percent are between 35 and 44 yeah, then 20% are 25 to 34 and 30% are 44 to 54. So we are those and I and it makes sense because we talk about all of the things that we have to manage at this season of our lives with having kids and jobs and being active in the world and all of those things. That's the chaos that you have. So it makes sense that that's our group. But that is our target market. Gretchen has so many beautiful quotes about all of you, too. <laughs> The average listener is sophisticated, highly educated, motivated career professionals. (laughs) (laughs) I am taking, I'm doing an MBA and so I had a marketing class and so I use our podcast as my, my topic and my thing to market. So the assignment was like at least four pages in mine. I think it came in at 10 pages because I had a lot of information that I wanted to put down. But that's sort of typical of people like Kelly and I think that are a little bit on the overachiever side and trying to solve all the world's problems at once while solving our own problems at the same time. So I think that's that's what happens. So today we're going to be talking about people that we admire and respect who are women. And how about I start out, how about you start, Kelly, with one of yours? So... First of all, I just want to ask you, because we talk about this a lot. I work in a female-dominated profession, and a lot of times in my profession, uh, one of the major problems we have is pervasive bullying. It's just well-known, well-researched issue in nursing. And I'm, and I'm sure it's not the only profession that has this issue, because I know that uh, attorneys... When I was in um, my PhD program at Northeastern, I was taking a stats class, and there were it was um, the majority of the students in there were actually getting their PhD in policy, I believe. So a lot of them were attorneys and they would tell me all sorts of stories that were very similar. So I know it's not, I'm not, it's not unique, but because women is, uh, nursing is mostly female dominated, I get really frustrated with bullying and I sometimes just attach it to the female gender, which I know is not necessarily true. So when you think about a female and who you'd admire, what are some qualities you like, you admire in women? I would say that women who are smart and brave and courageous and not afraid to stand up and in the face of that bullying and not afraid to ask the question and not afraid to stick their necks out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. And I I really admire women who are okay with other people being smarter than them or more quote more successful although I do I could go on a whole we could have a whole other podcast and my beliefs on that I believe everyone is has gifts and strengths in their own areas and but people who can really respect and value other people's desires accomplishments etc without getting jealous or catty I really admire those type of women well one of the things that I and I found this when I was researching for my marketing plan was 
I started looking at Facebook groups and websites for supporting new podcasters and, you know, what mic should I use and how do you do this and how do you get more listeners and how do you do that? And I finally post, did I mention this? I don't think I mentioned that. I think we had this in our conversation, but I looked on Reddit and I searched how like women in podcasting and it was nothing. There was one that was a guy who said, I'm interviewing a really hot lady. How do I handle myself? And I was like, oh, my God, this is ridiculous because some of my favorite podcasts are women hosts. So I finally posted women in podcasting. Where are you? And I got referred to a couple of Facebook groups and one I was just sort of admitted to because you have to go like because you I think partly because it's women you can't just join you have to answer the questions and be accepted into the group one I was just recently accepted into and the other one I've been in now for a week 10 days and it's called Lady Pod Squad and you can find other members of Lady Pod Squad if you so if you see that hashtag on our Twitter feed and our posts now I've added it because it's one of the things that you do and the thing with Lady Pod Squad is that everybody there is really trying hard to a rising tide raises all ships, right? So mm-hmm. everybody's trying to be supportive. So um, some basic com- sample conversations. What does your business card look like? Do you have a press kit? You know, does anybody, I do a podcast on this and I'm looking for a guest who specializes in this. Are you available? And people are like connecting. They also have a thing where they have a folder of promos for shows, like little ads that everyone's done on their own. So you create your ad, you add it in there, and then they'll say, hey, do you want to swap a promo? So if there was a podcast that seemed like it would really connect with people who listen to ours and be of interest, we could drop an ad into our podcast and then somebody else might take our ad and put it into their podcast. But it's very much about raising the profile of women in podcasting, which is actually another part of my marketing plan. And it's of the top 100 podcasts, I want to say that it was 80% had at least one male host. So it was like really rare even to have women podcasters. But part of the thing that was also interesting is that they say that podcasting should be, you're seeing a rise with women because it's harder to troll a podcaster. Like there might be someone listening to us right now who's being like, "Eh, you're fat, you're ugly, but it's audio. So you aren't being judged on your looks. And it's something you have to actually download and take the time and listen. It's not a Facebook comment that's coming back at you or a tweet comment. And so how it's become a very comfortable place for women to share their creative side by doing a podcast, which I thought was really interesting as hmm. well. So when you say that, you know, women are more supportive, that's kind of how I'm seeing these groups. So I look at the I had joined a third group that was not women only. And it is so like it's all right, I just did 10 episodes of my Get Rich Quick Scheme podcast and I'm going to pay, I'm going to hire people to write reviews to try to boost it up in the ranks and nobody in these women groups are doing that. It's all about, we don't want to buy fake reviews, which a lot of men do. There's a lot to think about there. But <laughs> but instead, like, hey, how, you know, and like people said, hey, you know, your one podcaster posted, someone listened and they said, oh, your audio was really weird this week. And she said, oh, yeah, I lost my original file. I had to try to rebuild it. But saying, hey, I know this didn't sound right. Are you aware of it? And more supporting people than trying to trample over everyone to reach the top, which I am loving. Like the other group, I get to go in there. I'm just annoyed looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. I really believe in that. I remember when I was in school with my dissertation, I would always help people or give them my different organization methods or when I took a class, I'd give them my paper so they could see what I did. And 
so many people thought that was crazy. They said, I don't know, no, there's everything's very secretive, especially in, you know, academia. A lot of times it's very secretive. Like you don't want to give anyone your ideas. And I just think it stifles us. So I, when people are like what you're describing in the podcast movement or other, other areas of life, I just think it's so much better. It makes us all so much better. Right. Well, I kind of, I had this conversation with two different people this week about two different things. And it was this story about this man who had fallen with a heart had fall, fallen over with a heart attack in some remote area of like North Dakota or Minnesota something like that and the ambulance was going to be an hour away and the all these people on the main street of this town lined up and did chest compressions for over an hour and he survived by the time the ambulance got there they were able to shock arm or do whatever and he survived and he you know thanks that he says it's because the town took over and when someone one person got tired someone was right behind him to jump in and so I had this conversation with two different friends this week and that I saw that as such a metaphor for a lot of for a lot of what I believe in that okay right now I have the mental energy to think about the um, march for our lives on March 24th and the school walkout and all those things and I have another friend who's like I just can't even think about it it's too much to think about it's like okay that's okay I'm thinking about it for you now and Mm -hmm. when I get tired of it when it starts to burn me out there's going to be someone behind me that can jump in and start taking over and doesn't mean that I have stopped believing in the mission altogether or anything like that but sometimes you do just need to take a break Mm -hmm. and walk away for a little bit and catch your breath and then get back in line and you're ready to take over when the person in front of you gets tired and so I feel like women are more likely to see the world in that way Mm. and maybe that's right or wrong and there are plenty of men who would see it that way too but it's not I'm going to be the best CPR giver in the whole world I'm going to do it for an hour and a half and kill myself doing it it's let's work through together and and it was men and women who did the CPR thing it wasn't mm-hmm. just women but I just thought it was a really interesting metaphor mm, that is interesting yeah because I've been trying I've been all in on the march and the movement but I've been trying to self I've been <laughs> practicing self-preservation because there's been some other issues headlining in our community that have been equally if not I don't know maybe even more so depressing and just emotionally exhausting but there are so many people on that movement too that it does feel yes like I don't have to take that on <laughs> right like there's like there but it doesn't mean I don't support it like you're saying right and then and maybe everyone switches lanes in a month or so that okay we need to take a break from this and focus on this one but it's all important and one thing that I think that especially our listeners do is that we do find those things important and we're trying to figure out how to give as much of our energy to all these things that are important as well as our work, our life, our families, and things like that. Yeah, finding a balance. So, I have, so for today, for women who I admire, I have one from my career, you know, my professional career, and then a mentor, and then a a celebrity. Okay. Okay. So, let's start with a somewhat controversial issue, which is birth control and abortion. So, my career the person that I really admire from my career in nursing that I, of course, never met is Margaret Sanger. And Margaret Sanger is known to be a birth control advocate, activist, excuse me, a writer and a nurse. Early in her life, she had, she was one of 11 children in her family. I think she was the sixth born of 11. And she spent a lot of the time um, raising her younger siblings. And she had the belief that women should be in control of when they have children and that if we were going to have more equality in society and if women were going to raise 
rise to their fullest potential, then they should be in control of when they have children or how many children they have. But then her work as a nurse further intensified this. So she cared for many women in their homes who either had performed self-abortions or had many miscarriages or simply had had multiple pregnancies. And now we know, I mean, there's so much research in this area of like the timing of pregnancies and, and safe abortion, etc. But she had this one story and the, it's under the pseudonym of Sadie Sachs. So she had been called to her house because she had self-induced an abortion and she almost died. And Sadie said, begged the doctor, please tell me what I can do to prevent this from ever happening again. And he looked at her and said, don't have sex. And so a couple months later, Sanger got a call to go back to Sadie's house. And sure enough, she had performed another self-induced abortion and she died a few hours after Sanger arrived. So she finally said, enough is enough. This is wild why don't we have contraception why don't we have access to birth control um and then at this around the same time she had a niece who was born who was unwanted and left in a snowbank and so she just felt like number one the equality but number two she was living this life where she saw these real live issues in her own everyday work and the solution seemed so simple um poverty People, you know, maybe just not being ready to have a child. There's rape, incest. There's all these issues where women may not want the child, be ready to have a child at that time. So she became an activist for birth control. And at the time it was illegal and abortion was certainly illegal as well. She started writing controversial newspaper columns about sex for women and youth. And um, she actually didn't believe in abortion. She was an anti-abortion. She had anti-abortion beliefs. She believed that we, didn't, we wouldn't even need abortion if we had access to contraception. So more like safe, rare, and legal? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so very similar to um, how I believe. Her beliefs were that children should be conceived in love. They should be born of the mother's conscious desire and they should only be gotten under conditions which render possible the heritage of health. So every woman must possess the power and freedom to prevent consci- to prevent conception, except when all three of those conditions could be satisfied. So she was arrested at least 11 times. She had to flee the country once because the government was coming after her. And she founded what is now known as Planned Parenthood today. So she still has, um, we know that it's highly controversial, every day oh yeah i have to um, have conversations about the controversy surrounding planned parenthood because they perform abortions she sometimes is um cited as an pro-abortion activist but she actually wasn't her whole message was hey we could get rid of this or reduce it significantly if we just increase access and you know as we are facing some of the major challenges we are in our state and our nation but particularly in our state because this is what is home to us we what's the new stat it's it's more than one person every day who dies of a heroin oh, opiate yeah. overdose Absolutely. it was like 426 a recent yep. report um in 2017 we birthed a thousand babies um, with neonatal abstinence syndrome uh, we have extreme poverty so many people in these conditions are, are not children were not conceived out of love they may or may not have been out of the mother's conscious desire and they don't they're not they don't have the means to provide uh, for a healthy stable life for that child and yet we still have blocked access to birth control uh, contraception and contraceptive education and it's kind of frustrating to me but I will say that she so she died at age 66 
1966, but it was one year after birth control was legalized in the United States. Abortion still was not legal, but she did get to, she lived long enough to see uh, birth control become legal. She must be rolling over in her grave when she hears the vice president say that in his lifetime, he'll make sure that abortion is illegal again. It, it It's frustrating to me because I wish I could just have an apolitical term for myself. So you call me a moderate. Some people <laughs> say I'm an independent. I wish I could just say I follow evidence. Right. Because You're an I'm an evidence based <laughs> decision maker because we there's plenty of evidence that shows that if you make abortion illegal, it does not make abortion go away. It just actually makes the circumstances much more dangerous for everyone involved. And also, if we want to focus so much on making abortion illegal, then why are we not putting just as much emphasis on increasing access to contraception? Right. That makes no sense to me. That just doesn't make sense. Right. I totally agree, as you can imagine, just because I do think that it's, especially when you look at places like um, states have done with different rights. And there's a Texas at one point had was going to have one or two clinics left for the whole state, which Texas is a huge state. Like I've seen an overlay. I want to say most of Europe fits inside Texas. It's just an absolutely huge state. And to limit access to one or two clinics is and much more populous than Maine is just unbelievable. So I, I think that that's one that we need to. And that's another one that we're, you know, we don't want kids to to die at school. We don't want them to be abused and beaten to death. Mm-hmm. We don't want them to be born into a we don't want them to be born into a world where they're going to face certain abuse if that person or parent could have prevented pregnancy from the start. Mm-hmm. You know, that's right. That's the goal. There was a uh, Colorado did IUDs for um, teenagers that wanted them. And they had a huge drop in their teen birth rate because it was long term, highly effective birth control. And I will need to look it up. But I feel like that that program was beginning to be phased out or they were considering doing away with it, even though they had this amazing statistic. Abortions went down because, you know, teenagers weren't getting pregnant to start with and all of, all of this stuff. I think that some people believe that if we make contraception available, that will promote sex. But and I always am cautious about how much to share about my personal life on this podcast. But this is such <laughs> a perfect case example that I must share it. So my family, my mother and her siblings attended a private Christian high school. Very like fundamentalist, evangelical. Very much so. And there are four children in the family. And of the four, three had a teen pregnancy, experienced a teen pregnancy. The only one who didn't is a homosexual. So, so, and you know, and I know. Are we reading about them in the Bible then? I'm assuming that these were all virgin births. Right. So, so the point is that they definitely were raised with the message don't have sex until you're married i was raised with that message they were raised with that message there's no doubt about it that they were getting it from every avenue yet they still had sex before they were married well before they were financially emotionally physically spiritually every type of well-being of readiness for children every adverb every adverb (laughs) and they still had a teen pregnancy now granted they didn't we they didn't put um they, we weren't aborted and i'm happy to be here today because i very well could have been a, an abortion 
But you also could have very well been a statistic in the middle. Exactly. I think I, I would be interested to see the Venn diagram of women who are PhDs that were the result of 18 pregnancy in a rural part of the nation. Because I feel like that's probably that's one of the things that makes you so unique in your worldview because you have seen both sides. We, and we've talked about that before. Yeah, it gets to, I mean, it's it gets so frustrating. It gets so frustrating. But I, I love, you know, I love my I love my family. This is not a criticism of them. It's just a critique of the ideology that if we increase access, people aren't going to have sex. Right. I mean, people are going to have more right. sex. No. In fact, we what I would like to see is vans like a full blown attack on um, access to contraception in areas where we know there's addiction. They don't don't make them come to you. Bring a right. van, show up at the drug house, give every offer it to everybody. Yeah. Say, listen, you know, we care about you. We don't want you to bring a baby into this world. You probably don't want to bring a baby into this world. Here's an option. I mean, I, I just think we should be doing that because these populations often, it's not everybody, but many people unintended pregnancies, which are 50% of pregnancies are unintended. They're not often the same demographic as you or I who can go get in our car, drive to the provider's office, request our IUD, know we should have one. You know, it's it, a lot of these babies are born under circumstances that are um, not ideal. Right. My one for my field is um, her name is Dana Boyd, and she is a researcher and she researches the impact of technology on society, basically. Mm. And she's written some great stuff and she puts out some great information. So uh, a book that I would recommend is called It's Complicated, and it's about how technology impacts the lives of teens and it's so good i have i have had my students read it in the past because a lot of them are going to be going into middle or high schools and talking about how like one of the things she says is that this is where kids socialize now is on their phones partly because we don't let them go out on their own anymore Mm -hmm. we say it's too dangerous to go out and then we get mad when they're on their phones but that kids and teens are always going to want to connect with their friends and so this is where we have forced them to be is on their phone uh, she also talks about uh, she has a she has a neat article too about how to talk about when you're on your phone in front of your kids how do you manage that and one of the things she says for little kids is to tell them what you're doing like oh I got a work email so I'm just checking that work email so that mm-hmm. I can make sure that they have what they need and or I'm looking at the weather forecast because I hear we're going to get 10 to 18 inches <laughs> on Thursday and you know whatever they go through and, and she has this great resource and so mine isn't nearly as long or as you know she's not as prolific yet but she has some great resources to really think about how our kids are growing up in a totally different time to the point we actually were discussing this earlier about how or earlier this week you and I were discussing about couples who share Facebook accounts and so I said well my parents have a shared email and share and my mom is the Facebook account holder but my dad's always looking on it and well you know mention the things he's seen or posts or whatever and I said you know for that generation that's how it's always been is that if you were going to call if you were going to call them, you would call the landline at the house and one or the other would answer and they'd say, oh, can I talk to one or the other? And they'd hand it off. Or if you're going to email them, if you're going to mail them pictures from your vacation, it would go to the P.O. box to the, you know, the family and you'd open it up and you look at the pictures. So for them, it's just sort of, well, why wouldn't it be shared? Everything else is. Whereas our generation is a lot more, you know, well, I got some questions for you if you're sharing your account when you're under 
60 you know <laughs> like huh okay all right you guys are all buddy buddies great um but kids this is they're they're not calling a home and getting you on the phone and saying hey can i talk to cam they're not and they right. won't and it doesn't happen with and even then it also feels it's a like, like your cell phone is a very personal device and you haven't hit this age yet you know when you when a kid wants to set up a play date and you're like oh, do i call do i text what do I do? Like, I like, uh, okay, you know, I like, I, I don't know this person. Whereas before it would have been just like, you would have called, but you're like, not sure. Should I call? Should I text? How do I arrange this? And then as your kid wants to talk to their friends, do you just give them your phone and let them call their friends or text their friends under your account? But then you don't want your kid necessarily seeing all of your other texts because all of your communication is coming through there. Mm. So she talks a lot about this kind of stuff. And I just I love her take on it. And I she makes a lot of sense. And she is very she talks about it in a way that is super respectful of kids and teens, too. Like she's not talking down to them. She's not kids today. Millennials. She's like, hey, this is the world that we created for them. Right. And this is how they're navigating it. And this is how it works. And it's it's a really neat book. And she has other books and other research as well. But that's my I'm glad to know that I was doing something that is recommended with the kids because I will say a lot of times I'll say oh I'm I just have to respond to a student or I have to deal with this at work so Cameron will take kids he's got this um kids laptop he doesn't do it as much now as he's older but he'd take it and he'll go excuse me I'm working and the other other thing he'll do too is he always wants to be involved in a texting he'll say oh take a picture of this and text it to Katie or oh yeah totally take a picture of this and text it to Gretchen or he's He's really... Or even one day when I was at your house and I was in and out and and Maxwell was like, she didn't say goodbye to me. So yeah. he did a video goodbye and yes. she texted to me and I could text him back and say, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was in a rush. So that would be, that'd be my one from my field, which is, my field is instructional technology, but it's my, when I did my master's degree, it was really about the intersection of technology and society and how is that impacting us. And while it brings together people from around the world in a much closer way than it ever did before, what is it doing for local communities? But I look at our Facebook thread for the neighborhood and I think that it's, you know, if you can harness that power, I think it does well there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So of course everyone knows my, um, <laughs> My famous inspiration, which is Oprah Winfrey. Who is Oprah Winfrey? (laughs) I love Oprah Winfrey. And I love her for so many reasons, but she is just... So there's this quote she says, and it says... She said, I have church within myself. I have church walking down the street. I believe in the God force that lives inside all of us. And once you tap into that, you can do anything. And I just... I can resonate with that so much. Um, I often feel that. Sometimes I'll just feel just so much power within me. It's not coming out the right way, but I it is like what she says, like whatever you want to call it, God or this or or however you're going to define it. She always is really clear on that, but she's just such a good example of it because she was a black female who was born into extreme poverty, she experienced abuse, incest, and she didn't, she didn't, you know, she wasn't born with a silver spoon, and yet she is a billionaire. Not only is she a billionaire, she is a good person. You know, because there's a difference between 
having a lot of money and having a lot of money based on strong values and doing what is right and keeping your values once you have a lot of exactly and keeping still it's true to those and i just think she does such a great job with that and she's she's not afraid to attack sensitive or controversial issues but she does it with such a an approach that brings people together instead of divides people i was watching an interview with her on um where what show does gail king work on is it cbs i think so yeah and they were they were kind of challenging her about being president it sounds like she's definitely not and i'm i am glad because i think it might it could ruin my perception of her (laughs) you know being a influencer and then being the president right it's two different skill sets it really is so but i love oprah you like her too right i like her too oh yeah. yeah yeah i have no problems with oprah i just didn't go to Australia with her, so we're not that tight. Right. I could understand that. <laughs> well, some people, she's very polarizing. If I say I love her, 50% of people have a negative reaction. And it's so funny because I'll say, how could you not like her? I mean, what does she do Yeah, for you not to like? They'll be like, well, she built a school in Africa and we need schools here. I'm like, really? Yeah, well, they also need them in Africa. So That's why you don't she like her. her money. <laughs> I mean, my gosh. <laughs> and we probably wouldn't let her build a school here. Well, that's just it. You know? No, I, I like Oprah just fine. So my celebrity is Amy Poehler. I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you're surprised there. <laughs> Amy Poehler is, she's, she was on Saturday Night Live, and then she was on Parks and Rec, and she's been in movies, and she is, now she's a producer, and she's a comedian, and she is awesome and hysterical. And the reason why I like her is because she has, when she's received awards, one of the things she did, uh, she had received an award when her kids were little, and she went up and she said, I need to thank two of the most influential people in my life, and she named her nannies. And she was like, without quality childcare, I would not be able to do what I do. And she is also um, really big on supporting girls. So she has this organization called Smart Girls, Amy Poehler's Smart Girls, and it is this, there's a Facebook group and a website, and she they curate content on, you know, books to recommend for girls. They talk about girl issues and they're very empowering to girls and trying to raise girls up to be, you know, strong and confident and creative and all those things that I admire mm-hmm. and women, you know, getting that down to the girl level. So I and and she does that as the mother of two sons. So and she and I she started it after she had her kids. So even though we've talked a little bit about the difference between being a, a mom to daughters and a mom to sons she still found that there was a lot of value to make sure that there was amy polar smart girls so i love amy polar and she is she has a great book called yes please which talks about a little bit about her career and how she got to where she is but she is just a really amazing awesome she's she's hysterically funny but also kind of like oprah does good with her power and i think mm-hmm. that that's really important in this era of me too she took uh, like at the Golden Globes some award show she took an activist with her as her date for instance she was like no you're gonna come with me and and to give that to give the Time's Up movement more of a face in the in the crowd and on the red carpet she had this Time's Up activist which I thought was great Hmm, great I never heard of her before you've seen her a million times but but Kelly's Kelly's often I could name a scientist or like a nurse researcher and she'd be all over it and give me like their last three published articles and then they'll be like oh do you see what band is coming to the waterfront and she'll be like is that a band we're like yes that's a band so it's kind of a (laughs) running joke that 
when she says who's that we just say oh, it's a band even if it's not a band unless we just tell her so amy poehler is not a band it's interesting because i feel very engaged in the world around me but every day i'm surprised at what i didn't know that seems to be common sense and, and you to have to else. watch you have to watch parks and rec you no, have to and you've heard it from multiple people i have not just not just me but because you are leslie nope the, you have the kind of passion that Leslie Nope does. You're Leslie Nope with the energy of Chris Traeger, which will only make sense to Parks and Rec fans. So <laughs> you will have you like you seriously. And maybe that's why I feel like I, I can handle some of the awfulness in the world is that this year we started watching The Office and Parks and Rec pretty much every night. We sit down and watch an episode of each and I go to bed laughing. And I think that that helps yeah. then not just being like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, everything's going to hell. Like, no, oh, Leslie Nope's out there. Well, you know, sometimes I feel depressed, but then when you think about people like Margaret Sanger, this was happening back in the 1800s, and these battle, or these, I guess I don't want to call it a battle, but these issues are not, are they're complicated, and you've got a lot to fight against, so it's not something that's going to be solved in one day. Well, it's like the, I think it's Obama said, the arc of justice, or the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice, Mm -hmm. and so I just try to keep remembering that as we go through all of the crazy news cycles and all of that kind of stuff now i watch bachelor to try to bring joy to my life <laughs> and i think i need to quit because it is it's trash tv at its finest and last night was the finale i stayed up until 11 p.m to watch the guy ari anyone who watches bachelor maybe maybe our listeners no they do maybe so sophisticated they may not know they my do. level but ari the bachelor who is Perhaps the most boring man I have ever encountered. I mean, I barely made it through the season. Every show, I just yelled at the TV and asked James if I could go to sleep yet. So he was down between two women. They're completely different. They could not be the more opposite. One is beautiful, has zero personality. I don't know if she said 100 words on the entire show. The other one's full of life, and she's pretty too. So he picks the full of life one. Then... I don't know. I don't know how long it had been since he picked her. It might have been a couple weeks. He goes to her and decides that he didn't want to pick her. He wants to pick the other one. So they aired this for an... I, so it was an entire hour of them just having this conversation, which was the worst conversation ever. He's like, well, I, I want to... I love her. And the woman's just sitting... Becca's just sitting there. And then... She said, leave. She tells Dodged her, a bullet, yeah. Becca. That's what I kept saying. I'm like, you're better for it. You're better for it. And then she, he kept telling, she kept telling him to leave. And he's like, well, can I just talk to you for a couple minutes? Oh, my God. No. No. Get leave. up and leave. leave. Don't talk to me for a couple. What else are you going to say? Could she not leave? Was it her house or something? They were. They had planned to meet. This is the other thing. It's all scripted and bullshit. That's it. I was, I was convinced that it's a conspiracy that what they said is, okay, listen, Becca, you... Argonne gets picked and then he's going to pick Lauren because he actually wants to pick Lauren. Sorry, but we're going to let you we're going to you're going to let us publicly humiliate you on television. But then you're going to be the bachelorette. This is my theory because is she is she the I don't know yet. It's oh because she made for better TV and was more interesting. Yeah, this exactly. Shoe over here going. Eh. Yes, ex- that's. I don't know. Sorry, Lauren. I haven't met you. Maybe you're not a shoe, but don't, no, you don't sure sound very interesting. No, I mean, I'm sure she's a nice woman, but it's just. It was so maddening. I swear that is what happened behind the scenes because it all seems so scripted because they were meeting in this place in California. So they both oh, fall yeah. in there. And then, of course, they do this whole breakup with cameras. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all I've got to quit the show, don't I? Yes, and start watching Parks and Rec. Okay, that it's might be a good so, idea. It's also, like, wholesome and funny. It's so... Yeah, this is utter trash. You you couldn't even watch five minutes of it. You'd no, be couldn't. so angry because it's so anti-feminist. Yeah. It's just completely degrading to women. I'm definitely, I mean, I'm definitely a, a feminist and my kids are feminists and my husband is a feminist, whether he knows it or not, he is because he's very supportive of all of us and I would not, and, and he wouldn't sit on the couch and watch The Bachelor with me. He would be like, oh, no, what the fuck is this? And take off. He can't even handle house hunters. So, no. Well, sh- they even the way the camera crews work, when they're standing in line or to get their roses. It's boob level, isn't it? Yes. They'll oh my start God. they'll start at the center and then they'll move up. Oh, it's so bad. It's bad. At least I'm being at least I'm in Well anyway, it. Amy Poehler Parks and Rec. Okay. You gotta Maybe watch that. It'll make you so much happier. Don't and then on the flip side, so I said we also are watching The Office, which we're now into season three, and the first two were so it was just like we weren't sure we could even make it through because there are so many cringy things that Michael Scott does that he's just so so sexist and so racist and so just but in this weird way but now it's season three and like things are starting to happen so now we're like all right let's watch it let's see what's going to happen next so that was a long setup for something to happen but parks and rec is great from the start it's awesome i think james has watched it yeah you'll have to watch it again well well when he hears this and hears that i called you leslie nope with the energy of chris traeger he will agree (laughs) last is someone from your mentor yeah, so mine is my dissertation chair, which is Dr. Elizabeth Howard. She is simply the best, the greatest inspiration of personal mentors in my life or anyone that I've really ever been associated with in nursing. She is not warm and fuzzy. When she emails, anytime I'd email her, I'd always get back yes, period, no. I tried to drop out a couple times. <laughs> um, the first semester and I remember the emails back from her I'd tell her I I don't have what it takes I've, I can't handle this I'm dropping out and she'd email me back you're not dropping out you can do the work period and I, <laughs> but it's not even what she it's it's not exactly what she she even said or didn't say but it's what I knew believed she felt so when I graduated I was the speaker the student speaker and I went and dug up what I said about her because I was like, I know I said something nice about her. But I said, my mentor, who I deeply admire, Dr. Elizabeth Howard, stood by me through my entire journey. Every time I went to her with an idea or plan, she immediately offers support. She provides prompt and thoughtful feedback and is always thinking about how to promote my work. She never made me feel like anything I wanted to do was insignificant. She consistently challenged me to exceed my own expectations. These are the people you want in every area of your life. People who believe in you and constantly challenge you. People who do not let you give up. You should surround yourself with people who raise you higher. And that's what I believe about her. She, Which is really what we started talking about at the very beginning. You know, surrounding yourself with people who will raise you higher. Right, exactly. That's so awesome. So you wrote that in a note to her? No, I was the... Student speaker for the ceremony. Oh, okay. And I said that about in my speech. Oh, that's so nice. So she's her. heard that. Yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah. She, it's always good to I think, tell I people her. when they matter. So mine is actually going to come from my family, and I was thinking about it, and it was my grandmother. Uh, my mom's mom died when I was ten. So I and I have memories of her. I remember going to her farm and tying grapes and play. They had a, a vineyard, and so we run through the the vines and the rows of grapes and stuff. But mostly how I know her is from stories and how she and my grandfather who died 
before I was born. So I never knew him. They were fruit farmers and they used all their fruit farm money in New York State and they sent, they had three daughters and they sent all three daughters to private college. And that was a thing, that was like a big deal mm-hmm. in the, my mom was the last, would have been the 50s and 60s. And they went to elite, not, not Harvard, but, you know, very nice private colleges. One was uh, Rollins College and one was St. Lawrence University, I believe. And or mm, I might be wrong on that. And my mom went to Casanova, which was a college in New York State. And actually, my mom was the last. So they said they were running out of college money, but they said, OK, we can send you for for the to, I think it was a two year college when she went or I, I don't remember the exact details, but it was basically you can finish your education at a private school or you can go to the state university and we'll buy you a car and live at home. So she went for the blue VW Beetle and commuted and got her end up getting her bachelor's degree from the university, the state university near her home. But they you know, this is how they made their living was a fruit farm and they did all this. And the story that I think of is one that I've heard a million times and it was my grandmother was, you know, kids are grown. She's a widow. She's been a widow forever. She's in the post office and she sees one of her neighbors who is crying at the mailbox and says, and she says what is wrong? And, and she said, the bank is going to take our house. We don't have enough money to keep the house. And the woman was a was also widowed and had a, a daughter with severe developmental delays. So my grandmother said, no, they're not. And she went and paid off her house. Oh, my gosh. And made sure that she was able to live there. That is the kind of generosity that mm. I hope to put out in the world whenever I can. I cannot buy anyone's house right now. I'm still buying my own. I feel like that's important to grow up in with a spirit of generosity and a spirit of watching out for others and that kind of stuff. And, you know, and I try to be generous when I can and be helpful when I can. But that was a I remember just remember hearing that story a lot when I was a kid. And then it was so the coda to that is that I had a student This is a few years ago who had a parent fall ill while they were on vacation. And so she had to drive across halfway across the country to go be with them. And she was going to miss class. And I said, that's fine. This is an emergency. Like, we'll work it out. So she and I used Twitter in my class. So she was driving and she posted where she was. And I was like, oh, that is you're going to drive right through my mom's farm because my mom's farm that she grew up on is right on the border of New York and Pennsylvania. And when the highway went through, it actually took some of their farm by eminent domain. And my mom was the one to cut the ribbon when the New York Thruway opened. So I had, so I said, oh, that's it. And so she, it's like a couple hours later, I get this text and she had pulled over and she's like, is this it? And she took a picture across the field of the family farm, which hasn't been in the family for 30 years, over 30 years. It happened to fall on May Day and May Day was a day that my mom and her mom loved and they always did May baskets and stuff like that. So it was like this weird, I was being, you know, I'm glad I was kind to that student and kind of putting out that energy of kindness that has been there. And my mom has an energy of kindness too, all of that. But there's always this spirit of generosity that I think is important and that I want to instill in my girls. So we do things to try to instill that spirit of generosity, but that was, that definitely, I think came from, my Nana Youngs from a million years ago. Well, it's kind of relates right back to your favorite, to your woman, woman you admire with technology and how to use it. It's here. So let's just use it. Right. And figure out a healthy way to integrate it into our life. And because of technology, that whole 
story could happen. Right. Exactly. Which is, which is interesting. Exactly. Now, I hear, speaking of generosity, Ingrid wants to do a lemonade stand at my house. Yes. Also, because she understands the market <laughs> and you live closer to the park. And therefore, there would probably be more people that want to buy lemonade near the park. Okay. So... I've been informed that Cameron wants to have a lemonade stand to give money to the people who don't have a house. Because you know how some uh-huh. of them are standing out on the I-95 yes. off-ramp and it stresses the kids so much. And so anyhow, he informed us that he would be having a lemonade stand. It would be $10 a glass. <laughs> <laughs> we got to work on your marketing plan, Cameron. And I Price told, elasticity. So I told him that um, he'd have to negotiate this with Ingrid because she's planning to have a lemonade, and they might have to work together as a team on this issue. And my uh, James said he was curious at how Cameron would cope with Ingrid also wanting to have a lemonade stand at the same well, time. Well, what we need to do, clearly, is get one of your neighbors involved and do a cross-street lemonade war yes. and have them outbid each other <laughs> and see which charity they can raise the most money for when Ingrid's done it before she did it for the library oh uh, well so, yeah. I don't know if you could talk about the homeless but no no, no we're gonna do it for both we're just yeah. gonna put on either side of the street oh oh yeah my we'll neighbor just, would be into that oh yeah totally yeah. or we can just alternate weekends or something yeah. but yeah that was I know she hasn't mentioned it in a while but unless she mentioned it to you but it well, was well there's been three feet of snow for the past yes three or four months it's tough to think lemonade but it's coming yes oh yeah definitely it sure is what is your favorite thing want me to start so mine i'm going to talk about uh my sunglasses so this is this isn't like anything super feminist except for that they're awesome sunglasses so i have i had lasik surgery a few years ago and so all of a sudden i can wear any sunglasses and not just prescription sunglasses so i had all different kinds of pairs but when i was out in colorado i tried on my sister got new sunglasses and i tried them on and they were amazing like the colors i felt like i was high or something because the colors were just <laughs> popping and i kept like lifting them up putting them down lifting them putting them down like this is amazing and they're called they're smith sunglasses and the technology in my sunglasses are called chroma pop and they're they're expensive sunglasses and it's the most I've ever spent on a pair of sunglasses, even like my prescription ones probably. But I wear them every single day. I wear them to ski lessons. I wear them to work. I wear them all the time. And one of the things that I love is that when I'm, I'm always the first one that can notice the kids on the hill at ski lessons. So we'll be looking for them to come down like one of three trails and I can see them when they're at the very top. I'm like, oh, there they are. And like, how can you see that? And I'm like, chroma pop. <laughs> and I had my friend try them on and she was like, oh my God, this is amazing because it just makes the colors so vibrant that they pop out from the white of the snow and it's amazing. I spent a lot of money on them. I literally wear them every day. And the other thing about Smith is that they have a lifetime warranty. That's how my sister got hers is that she had a pair of Smiths that broke. She emailed them and said, my my sunglasses broke. They said, okay, here's a credit. Pick out, pick out a new pair and whatever you want. And so she picked out these and they end up selling. And because of that policy, really, they end up getting money from me because I bought a pair. I searched around and found discounts and stuff, but they are pretty expensive, but I love them. Hmm. Awesome. I've never heard of them. I'm not, I'm in the 10 to $20 sunglass category because I sit on them, lose them, forget I, them. I definitely take I guess extra good care of mine. Yeah. And like I, my hat that I wear at ski lessons is like a knit hat. So I can poke it, poke the ears through the holes on my hat and 
put it down and then pull them out. And so they adjust that way. So it's nice. I love them. James has a pair of sunglasses from our neighbor who gets a lot of <laughs> hand-me-downs and they're awesome i want them they're like neon they're oakley's and they're neon kind of yellowish green with a funky um, oh, yeah. lens and then they have clear sides i always try to steal them and he gets so anxious because he knows it's just a matter of time before i sit on them or <laughs> or lose them but so anyway i i'm restricted to the 10 to 20 dollar sunglass range because of my habits gotcha my favorite thing will be my diva clips oh yeah okay so have you ever used a diva clips i think they've used them on me at the salon but i don't have any at home okay so with curly hair your curls way down the top of your hair so the diva clips you put in when your hair is wet and it kind of to lift the root a little bit so that your curls don't weigh down and I really love them. I think it helps me not feel like a wet rat. <laughs> when I don't have them, I feel like a, when I don't have time to put them in or let them dry in, I feel like I look just like a wet rat because my hair is really heavy and the curls are just stuck mm-hmm. to me. Plus, I've got a big head, too, and a big face. So it, I think the the lift method is great because it kind of elongates my face a little bit. and doesn't make me look like this big square grin. They're a little pricey. They're, I think they're $10 for... <laughs> Or fifteen dollars for ten. Oh wow, that's kind of a lot for hair clips. I bought some knockoffs, but they're not as good as the diva clips. Okay, but I think this is one area where people who really want to go all in with the curly hair do kind of go wrong, or they're not used to maybe wearing their bangs curly too. Maybe they've been like straightening right. their bangs out. The clips really also help you control your curls. Like I've got three cowlicks right in the front. So you can see I've got them all clipped. I, I actually have my hair in clips right now. Gretchen and I are at that level. <laughs> because podcasting is an audio format yeah. and no one's going to make fun of how we look. That's right. So that's why we podcast. Although Gretchen has some beautiful makeup on today. Yes, I am trying to. I have had terrible luck over my lifetime figuring out makeup. And I've texted my neighborhood friends and said, look, I will. I can help you with your phone, your computer, your Google Drive. I can help you with all these things. But I need one of you to come help me learn how to wear makeup because I find that a lot of times it turns orange on me. So I went to Sephora yesterday because I had the day off and I sat in their chair for probably 45 minutes. And the stuff that I left with, I ended up really not liking. Like I felt like it made me look sweaty. Apparently that's called dewy and dewy (laughs) is sweaty to me. And I did not like that. So but they gave me a bunch of samples. So today I'm trying a new one. So and I have two more to try. So I'm going to I'm going to give them each like a day or two and see how I feel before I go back and see what they can do. But I don't want like I don't need full face makeup. My grandmother wore my other grandmother was very glamorous and she wore a full face every single day of her life she wouldn't leave she didn't have it on she wore Clinique and she was beautiful every single day so I'm like I'm gonna try Clinique it makes me look orange so I have sensitivity to turning orange and it's okay to be orange however I don't want to be Mm -hmm. even though it's one of my favorite colors so now I'm trying out different ones because I just want to be able to like I, I, what I told her at Sephora is I would like the Instagram filter Sierra on my face at all times. <laughs> and they don't sell that. So I need to figure out how to make it happen on my own. I So back to Bachelorette real quick, or Bachelor, the beautiful woman, Lauren. One of the very attractive, or something that I don't know if it's attractive is the right word, but she her makeup is so good. But it's probably quite a lot. 
they probably do it for her. Not true. Yeah, but if I, I was on TV myself, every day, I'd probably look awesome. But the way I see her makeup and I think, gosh, if my makeup was like that, I think I'd look pretty good. You look great now. She's got, they do this straight line across the top. I, I just don't have time for that kind of stuff, though. I just want to be able to put on, like, Sierra Instagram filter. Yeah. And then mascara and, like, lipstick. Like, a, a neutral lipstick. Like, that's all I need to be able to do. Yeah. But that first step is the hardest. Because then I feel like my face doesn't match my neck. And then I don't, and then I, they said, well, just put it on your neck. I'm like, well, then I have to make it match my boobs. And I can't do that. I just would like to just look smoothed out. Instagrammy Sierra. Yeah. If you have any Sierra recommendations for makeup for someone with my type of skin, I'd be happy to take it. But it's it's just a it's an uphill battle. I try. I go through this about every nine months to a year. I'm like, okay, fix me. And I have yet to find the holy grail. So by going in on a day off when I knew they wouldn't be busy because it's the mall. Then I was like, this is let's let's see what we can do. And they were super nice. They gave me a ton of samples and they came back. They said, come back. If you don't like this, we'll give you a ton more. Like we'll find the right thing for you. So it felt very much like makeup therapy. And it was nice. I think you'd look good in lipstick. Oh, I would look awesome in lipstick, but I got to get the orange part done first or else then it just was like I'm like this blotchy, pale, weird person with nice lipstick. I've never worn lipstick. I look so ridiculous in it. I'll have to wear some over here sometime just so you can see. Yes, we'll go full, full ridiculous. Yeah. People can't leave the house without their lips. I do not have that problem because I look ridiculous in lipstick. Like probably my feeling about lipstick is the same as your feeling about your orange tint. Yeah. So we just got to get over ourselves. We gotta, so so we're going to all work together. We're going to rise all these ships yep. and we're going to get, you know, we're going to get Gretchen's makeup fixed and we're going to recommend phones for other people. And it's going to mm-hmm. be fine. It's mm-hmm. going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. That's it for this week. If you want to leave a review for us on iTunes or Stitcher, you can do that. We're also available on Google Play now. And if you have any questions that you would like us to answer, any topic ideas, you can always email us at balancingchaospodcast at gmail.com or join our Facebook and find us on Facebook under Balancing Chaos. And you can leave us a message there, too, if you had some ideas, if you thought that you would find us interesting to talk about some topic. We would be happy to take topic suggestions. We've got some cool guests that are working on lining up for the next few weeks, but we always take topic suggestions. So until then, bye. Bye. Bye.